never worked at a place where it was like, what do you mean you want me to shut it? You want your receptionist to go shut down your production facility? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Shifty, the podcast where we share a post-shift beer with Bell's employees and talk about what makes our jobs so cool. I'm Maddie. And I'm Nick. And for this episode, we're talking HR at the bar. We sat down with training specialist Mike First and Director of Human Resources Carrie Yunker to learn more about the culture and history of Bell's. So, um, if you guys want to tell us, why did you come into work today? <laughs> Not all at once. Uh, <laughs> well, so Amy schedules me a lot of meetings. <laughs> I have this lovely gal named Amy, and she tells me where to go and where to be. Um, you know, I, but realistically, you know, I sit, I sit in a lot of meetings, but regardless of that, I came into work today because I feel can make a difference when I'm in those meetings, realistically, you know? And we are working on some super cool projects and some really fun things that are gonna make a big difference to, in particular, the meetings I was in today had to do with safety and security, which is an important piece. And then I have sat in two different sort of, cult, what I would call sort of cultural meetings, meaning we're moving forward some projects and initiatives that will make a big difference to our culture. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly uh, agree the, the 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 sense of making sure that Sarah sees me walking out of the door and heading into work is always good. <laughs> um, but uh, realistically, it's 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 to be with my family and and to be with my friends and contribute, you know, to this thing that I feel like I've had a a small part in building over the last twenty years. So um, it's it's a sense of responsibility, a sense of family, a sense of commitment. Um, and, you know, I think there's folks that get motivated by seeing uh, a project come together and things come to fruition, and that just gives you steam going into the next project. And so a little bit of it is, you know, the ball's rolling, and it's been rolling, and the momentum is there, and you just you just do. You just come in, and you just do. I would miss it. When I'm on vacation, I still miss work sometimes. <laughs> I, I, can, I can agree with that. You know, like, what's going on there? Do they need something? Is everything okay? <laughs> I think that's rare to miss your job when you're on vacation. You don't, I don't find not, that often. Yeah, I mean, not that I don't love my family and my time away. Not that that's not needed, honestly. Mm-hmm. But, but simply a, 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 you know, it it doesn't feel like a job. Some days it does. Some days are tough. But it doesn't feel like a job the majority of the time that I'm coming in. Right? It's like it's where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. And my guess is that's probably the norm. Is from what what you said, Maddie, about it's probably not common for people to miss their job when they're <laughs> away. But to be honest, like I don't think I know anybody who doesn't read their email when they're on vacation and is right. just kind of keeping tabs on it here. You know, right. I think people just they love it enough where like you're concerned, not only out of a sense of staying connected, but just because you just flat out care. You want to know what's going on and you want to know what your friends are doing and what happened with that conversation when I left on Friday. And right. So, well, it's kind of a it's kind of a good segue, Mike. You mentioned that uh, you know over the last twenty years. So, uh, how did you both uh, get your start at Bell's? Uh, so I started, um, my old roommate, uh, his name was Johnny Apollo, uh, was the packaging manager. And at the time I was a working musician and, you know, had rock and roll dreams. And so every weekend going out and playing shows and, you know, okay, so there, 
money you got from Saturday night is gone by Monday, and so need a day job kind of thing. And so there was actually a couple of years where I had kind of said, hey, Johnny, can you get me a job as a packager? And he kind of kept that at arm's length because his point was like, well, we live together, we hang out together. I don't know if I want to see you at work all day too. <laughs> um, but it just made sense after a while, so he offered me a job, um, and, uh, and I started in as a packager washing kegs that was my first job eight hours a day washing Hoff Stevens kegs for three or four days a week and uh, it was really just very much as, as, as a reason to pay my bills but there was also very much a sense of pride uh, on being associated with the brewery from Kalamazoo and I had a lot of friends who actually did work there at the time um, so again I felt like I was kind of joining a bunch of guys that I already knew and a bunch of folks that I had, had kind of had good time with um, and I certainly in the back of my head absolutely had the notion that well if music doesn't kind of take me to where I want to be this could be a job I could fall back on. So I started at the brewery almost 15 years ago now and I started as a temp through a staffing agency so I was going to school for uh, Hayworth College of Business here in town and um, I got a I was looking for a part-time job something to be able to do while I while I was going to school and I got a phone call from uh, the temp agency, which isn't even in business anymore, um, at the time. And they were like, hey, we are looking for, and I had done a couple of assignments for them. Um, hey, we are looking for somebody. And the woman, I will never forget her saying to me, like, I need somebody who can go and answer phones and be the rece- you know, like part-time receptionist at a brewery. But you got to be able to work with a bunch of surly dudes, <laughs> take a joke right? Have a strong backbone. Like they were very clear with me, like, here's the environment that you're kind of walking into. Uh, and, and I was like, oh, I can totally do that. And I'm still trying to do that. So, <laughs> well, so, so Carrie, you've been here for 15 years. And like you said, 20? 18. 18. So I, I like to stretch that out to 20. I think I'm close yeah. enough. Yeah. You earned it. We round um, up. So what were, what were the early days like, you know, what, what was, how did that all look? Hmm. So the early days for me were a little different because my early days were actually down here uh, where we're at the Eccentric Cafe right now. Uh, The Comstock Brewery didn't exist at that point. Uh, So there was a couple of years where everything took place down here other than obviously sales in the marketplace and whatnot. Um, So it was, uh, there was a nickname uh, that it was Larry's Home for Wayward Boys. And so (laughs) Carrie's description about, you know, kind of having to work with a bunch of surly guys, that was kind of the environment. uh, there weren't any female brewers or weren't any female production employees. There was a few kind of over the years, early in the day, um, some you know strong, brave women that decided to give it a try. Um, but there was it was kind of a little bit of a male-dominated kind of locker room environment to some degree. Um, you know that certainly wasn't the thing that attracted me, uh, and I'm not trying to you know toot my own horn, but there, there got to a point where it was kind of okay, I'm just going to kind of keep my head down and try to do a good job and, you know, kind of joke along a little bit here and there. But um, it, it, the, the, sometimes the environment was a little challenging as far as that goes. Um, but that aside, um, there was very much also a sense of camaraderie and teamwork and you help each other out. Uh, you showed up in the morning and you stayed until the, the day was done. There wasn't like nine to five kind of thing. It was, you know, there were certainly schedules and shifts by the time I came on board. Um, uh, in, in, in 99, but there was a sense that like you had to stay and get the work done. And that just how, that was just how it was. But at the same time, because you're kind of having fun along the way, it really wasn't a chore. It wasn't difficult. Um, 
the other thing that was kind of interesting in those early days back down here was uh, you had to kind of learn how to work with the things that you had. Uh, you didn't have resources to buy some fancy new piece of equipment every other month. So you kind of had to accomplish things by ingenuity and, um, you know, repurposing things and duct tape. And uh, so, you know, there was a little bit of a not wild, wild west. I don't want to make it seem like it was a complete free for all. It was just that there was a sense that like we it was it wasn't a challenge. It was a, it was an opportunity. It wasn't like we have to figure this thing out. It was we get to figure this thing out. <laughs> you know, it was really much like you, you get to learn, you get to grow. And then even moving out into Comstock, uh, you know, my, my former boss, John Mallett, really very much empowered packagers and maintenance to own what you're doing and figure it out and learn and try. Maybe there's a little bit of trial and error and, hey, that didn't work the first time, but, hey, it worked the second time. Why? Let's figure it out. Let's talk about it. Uh, and certainly maintenance being a very important part of keeping any industrial manufacturing system going, we went in lean. And there was not like a huge maintenance department to start. And that was on purpose because maintenance folks are usually highly skilled, highly paid. And so if you can get away with having your operators get a little smarter and understand the equipment and the processes, then you don't have to have this fleet of highly skilled maintenance operators. So uh, from the beginning, there was a, a very much a sense of let's empower and educate as best we can to give the people that are operating the equipment the greatest sense of understanding and ownership. And then that also contributes to that teamwork atmosphere and that support atmosphere of like how you are working together as a team, as an organization, as a department, and as a company. You know, some of my early memories are, <clears throat> I was, I think, employee number 50. And I started right at the time when we were opening the Comstock Brewery. So I started right at that point where we were. Um, starting to brew beer and you know we had one shift of packaging we had you know a couple shifts of brewers at that point but you knew every single individual person's name you spent time with them outside of work we had fun together and there was always this sense of if there's a higher road to take we're gonna take it so I remember being a really small brewery and and doing right things as it related to government compliance, you know, were we getting, were we doing the labels right? Were we doing, you know, some of the some of the early work I did was like entering the handwritten brew logs, for example, and a lot of the tank fermentation work, and like gathering that data to make sure that when we did our inventory at the end of the month, our taxes were paid correctly, and like that is kind of that spirit still lives now. Like if there's a higher road, we're going to take it. If we can do something with integrity, we will. Uh, and I think that that has that was really what kept me in some ways, uh, kept me interested. Is and there was always a new challenge. There was this like I, you know, to Mike's point of like we get to solve this problem. There was always like something new and interesting as well in all the different aspects of our business, whether it's a new beer or you know, a new process or, and I just felt like sort of the group of folks that was there at that time when I first started was eager to learn and eager to be the best. And we had to figure that out on our own. And, and I think that that is, you know, we still have some of those fun homegrown systems. Um, and I think, you know, we, it was the same, but we were still at a place where started in October and in December, I remember getting a phone call. It was on a Wednesday in December, first week of December, and it was Larry, and he was like, hi, Gary, I was like, hi, 
And he goes, I need you to shut it down. And I was like, what? He goes, I want you to shut it down. Everybody has to get down here to the pub. It's pre-eccentric brew day. Shut the brewery down. No, no thought or care for packaging or money or distributors, you know, trucks coming or whatever the case may be, <laughs> oh right? It was simply just like, we all belong together. We all belong together right now, right? We should be down here. We should be, you know, and and I again, I still feel like like Skills Week to me is a is a bit of a uh, kind of commemoration to that sort of spirit, right? Is mm-hmm. like we all belong together. We all do this together. We all, you know, there were some people already down here drinking beer and Bloody Marys, which was a highly touted thing that happened eccentric uh, brew day, and and it was like, no, I want everybody else down here too. And I'd never worked at a place where it was like. What do you mean you want me to shut it? You want your receptionist to go shut down your production facility? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Can't get enough of Bell's Brewery? Find us on social media. Get the latest announcements and sneak peeks in whatever feed you'd like to scroll through best. So how do you do HR at a brewery? Like... Uh, like it's a I, lot of gray area. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, I, we obviously, like we get beer benefits. It's like, how do you tackle that that sort of issue? So I um, have always been, and will continue to be, the kind of person who wants us to have sort of policies, if you will, or practices that trust someone and assume positive intention. So I think that that's incredibly important. So you, you know, we could rule the hell out of everything if we wanted to. And when Mm -hmm. I first started and took over, sort of like when I became the ultimate kind of tip of the spear, if you will, for HR, the first thing I did was tear apart our handbook. First thing I did. (laughs) First thing I did because it said over a hundred times in there, you know, up to and including termination. It was written by an attorney. It didn't feel like us. And I wanted us to have work rules that were reflective of what we were actually doing and what we Mm -hmm. actually respected and what i actually expect of everybody is to be responsible which we define that in one of our values but realistically i expected that way back then and everyone else expected that of each other too you know and like we were able to hold each other accountable i think that uh we can we can do that and still have fun and i you know in fact one of the projects i'm working on right now one of the meetings i had today very much related to sort of beer benefits, making sure that that is um, looked at in the right way. So what are we doing for our off shifters? What are we doing for our, you know, folks who, when the pub's closed, for example, what's mm-hmm. the spirit of that shifty? And, you know, so those kind of things still live on. I think it's, it's just got to be you trust until someone proves you wrong. And when they prove you wrong, we know what our work rules are and then we take action. We can't be afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. One thing I've always appreciated about this place, and this may just be me in my head, but the way that I've tried to view it is this is, you know, and this is going to get kind of broad and wide and, and maybe a little lofty, but I feel like this is our chance as a as a society and as our culture, as a people and as humans on the planet to do the right thing. You know, I think anybody who's mindful of history in any way and understands what manufacturing and what labor looked like 200 years ago versus 100 years ago versus 50 years ago and i'm not going to quote him properly but dr king said something along the lines of that you know the arc to you know to freedom and justice is long but it's always pointing in the right direction it's something along those lines and again i feel like manufacturing and jobs and how workers and employees and employees interact 
there was a point in time in our country's history and certainly our planet's history and a lot of places that are still exist on this day where it's just not done right. You're mm-hmm. not doing the right way. And I feel like there's an altruistic notion that we can try and aspire to do the right thing, aspire to build yep. the building in the right way, to put policies in the right way. And I feel strongly that we have to lead. We have to show the example of how manufacturing can be profitable and at the same time mindful of what the people at the bottom are doing and what the people at the bottom, the folks that are kind of you know grinding away from the day-to-day, the operator level, how, they, how it impacts them. Because I think for too long in our society, especially in America, the profits and the CEOs and the folks who are on the board it's all about protecting that profitability. And if you're doing that, then it'll trickle down. It's like, okay, I kind of see what you're saying, but I would much rather provide and develop a system that takes into account the folks at the bottom and the folks in the middle and the folks at the top because we all have to be in those relative positions. It, at some point, you, ha- you know, in order to have a top, you got to have a bottom. In order to have a bottom, you got to have a top. But if the people at the top aren't respecting and supporting the people at the bottom, then the foundation crumbles and it doesn't work. So again, I feel strongly that we have this opportunity here to show the rest of, the, of Kalamazoo and the rest of Michigan and the rest of the country and the rest of the planet. Here's how you can be a profitable business and be respectful and mindful of the people that are developing and contributing and, and, and at all levels. I really feel strongly about that, that this, we have this opportunity. And I really try and come into work every day to tell myself that. And again, it sounds a little lofty, but it's true. Because if we're not doing it, who is? And if we don't do it now, when? Right. So, <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you were a musician. You were you were uh, you were trying to do the the rock and roll thing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have a funny story about that. Okay. Um. So I I knew that because uh, I go to school for audio stuff and I know John. Right. John Campos. Uh. But when I was like just out of high school, I was working at a grocery store. And one of my former teachers came through the line. I was a cashier at the time. And I mentioned that I was moving to Kalamazoo to go to school for, like, music, that kind of stuff. And he mentioned, oh, yeah, I used to live in Kalamazoo. I used to live across the street from this band that used to rehearse called Knee Deep Shag. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I swear to God, a few days later, I, I was, you know, I would buy music at the secondhand store in Hastings. That's where I'm from. And I found Good Disguise by Knee Deep Shag for like $5 in the CD bin. And I listened to it and I was like, I love this. I got super into it. And then it was sort of like this weird sort of starstruck moment when I learned that you played bass in Knee Deep Shag. I have it. It's well, I'm moving soon, so all my CDs are packed away. But I was almost like going to do that as a gag on the show to like pull out my copy and have you autograph it. But... Uh, yeah, that's just like a funny anecdote that I had that I was amazed to just weird things that come together like yeah. that. Yeah, it's a small world, man. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that, I, I'm flattered. That's that's, that's really um, – it, it might have been on Westnage, I would guess, because there was a point where Knee Deep Shag with their practice room was in uh, Matt Gross, the lead singer's uh, apartment uh, on Westnage there. I'm not sure where your, where your friend lived. but Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, if you I, ever listen to Mike play music, you wonder – how did we get so lucky to have yeah. him oh, training on, people no. and packaging people? You know, like seriously. <laughs> I was here for that like, uh, reunion show back in February. I was yeah. absolutely here for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, you know, the, the music thing is my passion, but I, I, I can't express how lucky I was to have realized early enough that, hey, 
this Bell's thing, this could really go somewhere, and this could be a great job. Mm-hmm. You know, so really, to be perfectly honest, um, as much as I would you know, love to be 100% musically supported and financially and whatnot, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'd be the same person had I not spent the last 18 years working here. And I think that the lessons I've learned and the teamwork and certainly the management skills and some of the coaching that I've you know developed over the years of being a department head for a little while um, have also improved my ability to function as a musician and work within a band, which is usually kind of like a marriage between four people or five people or right. how many are in the group. <laughs> so there's, you know, the, the just the politics of working inside that system has, has been improved by my time at Bells as well. So there's uh, as much as I would love to just play music, you know, I certainly, again, I, I feel like I wouldn't be the same person had I not had the ex- <laughs> life experience that I gained from working at Bells. Yeah. So come work at Bells if you want to be a musician. Exactly. <laughs> we have a lot of them. There a, are a lot of them. A lot of incredible musicians. <laughs> yep. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, awesome. Thanks to you both for sitting down and uh, taking part in this little experiment that we're doing. Uh, no, actually, we're going to keep going. So the oh, okay. All right. To- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Mike and Carrie for sharing a drink and some great stories with us. I'm Nick. And I'm Maddie. And you've been listening to The Shifty. Cheers. Cheers.